Oh, kia ora and morena. I'm Bernard Hickey and this is the Kaka's Dawn Chorus. And we're doing something special this morning. We have Peter Wilson in the studio here with us, who's an economist at the NZIR. And we've just been and listened to a speech by Stuart Nash, who is standing in for Chris Farfoy as the Immigration Minister, with a speech that was promoted by the Prime Minister as a big speech on New Zealand's migration settings and a reset. Peter, welcome in. And what did you think were the main features of that speech tonight? I think that the speech was at a high level and people who were looking for details of numbers of migrants next year would be bitterly disappointed with what the Minister said. But there were some important nuggets in there and the couple that I took out were the tourism and agricultural sectors will look very different from what they do now. So that's a pretty clear signal to those two sectors that have used particularly short-term, low-skilled labour in the past, that things are different. The reset was used a couple of times, that word. Not a lot of details, but I think the direction of travel is fewer short-term migrants than we've had pre-COVID. You've done a lot of research into this with Julie Fry. Uh into how our use of the migration system has changed over the last couple of decades. And there's a couple of surprises I think a lot of people will find, in particular about the use of temporary migrants and how high we are as users of temporary migrants in the world. Absolutely. We, we are a standout in the OECD for the number of people in New Zealand with work rights. And it's the work rights is the very important thing. And we've seen groups like working holiday makers who have pretty well unlimited work rights as long as they don't start a career, but hours of work, they can work 80 hours a week if they want to. Students can work up to 20 hours a week during turn time, 40 hours through holidays, tens of thousands of those. And that's been a really big increase in the numbers of migrants with, I would suggest, very little supporting evidence that it is a good thing or a bad thing. Yeah, because for a long time, the broad thought in New Zealand's political economy was that migrants are great. They make us more productive. They increase the size of the economy. They're often young. They're vibrant. They've got great ideas. They've got a bit of get up and go, you know, um, and uh, they're always keen to establish themselves and um, do well. So what could possibly go wrong with yet more migrants? What well, the important, the important thing you've got to remember is, this sounds very geeky, but what does that word migrant mean? Stats New Zealand, migrant means a permanent migrant who plans to be here, it used to be for more than 12 months, now 12 months out of 16. So in the country, permanent leave, 12 months out of 16 out. So that's what stats call a migrant. They don't put an adjective in front of it. Immigration New Zealand, totally different system. Permanent resident means you can work in New Zealand and you can come and leave as you please. You've got the same work rights as a citizen. You have the same access to unemployment, to, to benefits, you can vote. So what's changed in New Zealand is that we've had lots more people coming in under the, the Immigration New Zealand temporary visa categories, and stats have often called them permanents. And so we've said, oh, well, they're permanent migrants, they're gonna be here forever. But some of the research that's been done on temporary migrants, and there is not a lot, but what has been done 
does suggest temporary migrants aren't just permanent migrants who are going to, who haven't been here for as long. And one of the really interesting examples coming out of the UK is temporary migrants spend a lot of their income back home. Um, they don't save locally. They don't buy consumer goods locally because they're not going to stay. So that that is a big change in New Zealand. And what Julie and I have been saying, particularly in our last report, we actually don't know a lot about the economic impact of temporary migrants. It could be good. It could be quite detrimental to low-skilled people they're competing with. We need to understand temporary migrants a lot better before we can start making policy. It's one of the confusions I think there's been around the debate on migration or temporary workers over the last decade or so is that everyone's gone straight to um, residency visas and the idea that people are applying from Britain or South Africa or China for a full residency visa, they get the tick and then they come. When actually, as Stuart Nash pointed out in the speech tonight, 80% of the residency approvals are to people applying who are already here as students or as working holiday makers or as people here who had a, quote, skilled work visa and have got the letter from their boss saying this person is absolutely essential and now highly skilled as a retail manager in my liquor store. Uh, so um, how did how did all that change over the last five to ten years? Sort of accidentally on purpose? Or I, I think it... What happened with migration policy was that we didn't have a migration policy. We had a set of criteria for access to different sorts of visas, and they were tended to be done quite in isolation from each other, overlaid with a gloss that said permanent migration is good for economies, whereas the evidence that Julie and I have uh, assembled is that permanent migration is small positive impacts on economies when you measure them as per head. So the GDP is bigger, but most of the gains actually go to the migrants themselves in, the, in terms of, of wages. And we've built this economy, which uh, has a lot of small businesses in tourism, hospitality, maybe even aged care, where they've become quite reliant on, on these temporary workers. Many of whom have been rolled. You know, they've had three years and then Ah, we'll have you for another three years, and before you know it, 12 years is gone, but they don't actually have the rights of a residence, a resident to you know, bring their family in or um, get, a, get an unemployment benefit if something goes wrong. So what I'm curious about is how do you think these businesses, if there is going to be a um, – the tap has been turned off with COVID, how are they going to go cold turkey? Because I'm not treating when everyone's really got their heads around how that's going to work. That, that, that's true. I mean, part of the thing is is they've already gone cold, cold turkey. Um, so, you know, the stats figures came out today. Year before COVID, 6.8 million movements across the border in terms of arrivals, another 6.8 in terms of departures. For the year just finished, 168,000. The tap is dripping. It, is, it used to gush. It is now being... So what we need to do is go and look to the firms that have succeeded and ask them the question, what did you do? Now, we know in, in, in the horticulture sector, some firms responded by paying their workers more. Shock horror. Shock horror. 
and and offering better terms and conditions. The thing that I think is really interesting, in, in again, in terms of, of migrants coming in, is that often because of the visa conditions, they don't have a lot of choice of where they work. RSE workers are tied to one employer, and it's that or you have to go home. A lot of the, the, the skilled migrants, likewise, are tied to an employer or an industry. So their choices are quite limited. That means that their, what economists call their reservation wage, what they think is a fair deal, will be low. What we've got to, I think firms have got to start thinking about is, what if I had to offer employment to someone who's got a lot of choices, what they want? But I think we've also got to start thinking about workers as consumers as well. And this is very interesting when you look at the dynamics of um, migration. And again, it's that difference between permanent and temporary. Permanent migrants come in, they earn, they save a little bit, but they spend a lot of their income where they're now living. Temporary migrants, they might not be spending a lot of their money at home. They're, they're remitting it. And one of the reasons they're remitting it is they get a better deal back home because prices are cheaper. And this means very interesting work in the in the in the uh, OECD looking at that to say that Polish migrants into England have been earning in pounds and spending in zlotys and getting a really great deal, and we're seeing that with migrant workers from the Pacific as well. So that's what we've got to think about: is to say, uh, how do we get migrants who are going to be consumers who will be spending and the real trick is complementing local factors like capital and labour and spending here. If, we can, if firms can think about ways of doing that, that's how we get to a high-wage, high-productivity future. But it's going to take time, and it will mean that business models might have to change. And that's a really interesting sort of big shift in the economy if it goes on. We've got the Productivity Commission now... Uh, formally asked to do a proper review of our migration settings. Chris Farfoy has already started a, a, a more limited review of the skilled migrant category visas, and we didn't get any real detail on that today uh, other than uh, um, the speech uh, which no doubt Chris Farfoy wrote and was delivered by Stuart Nash talking about tightening their requirements for approved employers and also tightening the rules around work tests uh, there were some numbers mentioned, uh, in particular the um, the increase in the number of people on temporary having temporary work rights. Currently, about a couple of hundred thousand, whereas you know a decade or two ago it was more like a hundred thousand in the country at any one time. I asked um, whether uh, he could say how much that might fall, and that's still very much off the table. And the same with the residency target or quota. Um, it's been very politically sensitive over the last three or four years, particularly in the final year of the first Labor New Zealand first term, when I understand there was um, some debate. And, <laughs> uh, and we still don't have a, a number. Because in the past, there's been this bipartisan agreement that it would be around about forty to 50,000 people per year would get a permanent residency. And one of the concerns I think some people have is that over the last decade, we've made lots of promises, checks in a way that we couldn't cash. 
by saying to people in India or China or the Philippines, hey, come on in, be a skilled worker in New Zealand. You might get residency. <laughs> and and now when suddenly the applications are flooded and COVID's happening and everyone's going, there's an 18-month wait for my application to get seen, yeah, I just, I just wonder um, how much um, the government can look at these residency uh, quotas, but also whether they can put any sort of limit in the number on the skilled migrant category visas. And it's, it's, look, politically this is, this is always difficult, but then change is always difficult politically. Um, and the government has talked today a, a big game at a high level Proof pudding eating, um, <laughs> insert cliche here. Um, and yeah, you're, you're, you're right to be cynical. Um, the more optimistic side of me says that the government has closed the border. The border has stayed closed pretty much since last March. And they are opening it very slowly, very deliberately with small numbers. And I think people have got to observe what the government's doing and perhaps believe them that we're not going to go back to the good old days and one of the reasons we're not going to go back to the good old days is the old days weren't actually that good. We had a, an, an unplanned flood of people coming to New Zealand. I'm very concerned about the promises given to some of those temporary migrants. Um, we have seen some cases of out-and-out fraud where people were saying, if you come and do this course, you will become a permanent resident in two years' time, and that was a lie. Um, we've got ways of dealing with that. I'm a bit more concerned about just the, the general culture, infrastructure, this idea that there is a pathway to permanent residence and then citizenship and I think if people look at what's happened, that's true. That has happened for a lot of people. So I think the government is going to have to be quite firm and say, you're here for three years, and at the end of three years, you're not here. And again, there's some very interesting research that was just done this year by a very good economist from um, London School of Economics, where he was looking at what happens if you announce a change in visa policy. Um, now, it's a simulation, um, but what he was saying is German guest workers, that was the data he was using, from Turkey, had the right to permanent residence from day one. That was the deal. He said, what if the deal was changed to, in five years' time, you have to be earning X before you can get permanent residence? What he found was that fewer people would come from day one, because they didn't think they'd get to X. So they were saying, why, why go there for five years and bet I'm going to get there? They also did some stuff, if you're not earning X, what if you're at a certain level of occupation, so qualification? And again, people were thinking, well, I've got to go to Germany and study to get a diploma. That's going to be expensive and I might fail, so maybe I'll stay in Turkey. So I think, I think setting the, the conditions and making clear to people what's the deal 
will actually change what migrants do. And this, again, is another point Julie and I have made. Migration is not a random experiment. Every migrant has chosen to come here. And so you've got to, you've got to ask, why did they choose to come here? And if you change the rules, they might not want to be here anymore. And getting into that level of detail, that's what hopefully the PRODCOM will start thinking about, to say, what are, what are the expectations of people and how can government settings change those expectations? At the same time, I, I have sympathy with saying to people who were stuck in New Zealand because of COVID, okay, we're going to, rather than just roll you over every six months, subject to a police and health check, maybe permanent residence or maybe 10 years. And I think that would have been a lot kinder thing to do, to coin a phrase. And I think that's something I think, if, if the border is going to stay closed for a while, I think that's an area where I would encourage the government to basically say, look, the numbers are small. Out of 5 million people, maybe we'd say to these people, now, just to, to finalise, um, we've got the Productivity Commission um, about to launch a review. Uh, what don't we know now that would help us make these sort of decisions that have now been sort of put up in the air by the government by saying, let's, um, let's have a look at this, this area? What we don't know is how different temporary migrants are from permanent migrants in terms of their behaviour, their spending, their savings, their remittances. We don't know a lot about the impact of working holiday makers on local um, employment. And that's a concern that Julie and I have got. That that's, that's really is people competing. And all the research from migration says, if your migrants are competing with your locals, it's a zero-sum game. That's just how it works. One job, two people. If your migrants are complementing your locals, one doctor working with a nurse, one skilled a computer programmer working with a computer, that's where you get, the term is the migration surplus. That's where the benefits of migration are shared, don't just go to the migrant. So more in-depth research into the sort of local effects of and migration. And the complementarity versus com competition. And I, I'm most concerned about working holiday makers because I think they're competing quite um, tough with you know, hard competition. Students, likewise, um, and then some of the lower skilled um, skilled migrants, where I think the level of skills required is quite low. And if those people are genuinely only going to be here for a while, then they're probably not contributing a lot to the economy. But we don't know that. And that's some research that needs to be done. And for, just, just finally... Um uh, it's fun for us to do. We're not politicians and we don't have to get elected. <laughs> uh, what would success look like 10 years down the track if the settings were changed in a way to improve the total well-being of the country? How would you say, yep, that one worked. We've got higher wages. We've got you know um, less stress on infrastructure. We've got uh, higher well-being. Um, we've got you know less transiency in schools. I, I don't know. What, what? Yeah, I mean, success to start... For me, would be that the Stats New Zealand projections of population equal the outturn. For about the last 15 years, Stats median projection 
for population growth has been out by 20, 30,000. I mean, we, we got to 5 million 11 years earlier. So that would be one measure of success, that we're actually having the number of migrants that we thought we were having. That would be important. I think the minister's um, challenge to the horticulture and tourism industry, that they would look very different. And I think that's one of my measures of success. Little example, uh, Julie and I, uh, used from California when they stopped migrant workers within um, 11 years 100% of tomatoes in California were picked by machine that would be success that, that we, where we've got automated um, techniques for, for picking and growing fruit and that we're exporting quality not quantity that's success and that's a great point to end on. Um, thank you very much um, to Peter Wilson from the NZIR, an economist who's looked closely at this with Julie Fry, and um, here uh, with us in Parliament to listen to this big uh, migration reset speech. That was another uh, dawn chorus on the kaka. I'm Bernard Hickey. Ka kite anō.